The idea that television, computers and the rest are just tools that we use for better or worse isn't true. The way you react to them is what's important. Not what's in them or on them. What you tweet isn't important. The fact that everybody in the world has the ability to create, distribute, and consume media, that is what's important. This is Matthew Sweezy, and you're listening to the second episode of the Electronic Propaganda Society, a detailed investigation around the events occurring and resulting from June 24th, 2009. In today's episode, we're gonna dig deep into the idea of media environments and how a shift from the limited media environment to the infinite media environment is the greatest single cause in the failure of this idea that we have of marketing. To start us off, I want you to think about the following statistic. 99.9% of all things that have ever lived on planet Earth are extinct. And all historians agree the number one reason for this is environmental change. See, our environments are massively powerful things and the media environment is no different. It dictates what we see, what we know, how we communicate. It's the foundation for commerce. See, the media environments drastically affect the world just as much as the physical one does. But don't just take that from me. I want you to listen to a clip from Marshall McLuhan. This guy is the greatest media theorist who have ever lived on the face of the earth and also known as Canada's greatest thinker. Here he is in an interview from the mid-60s on the Canadian Broadcast Corporation. Yes, but I mean, our media, uh, is any medium that strong that it can affect our lives and our whole outlook, Marshall? Uh, aren't media, as I think most of us feel, on the edges of life? Uh, they can be taken or left alone. Well, Alan, we've seen how print affected all aspects of our lives. Industry, education, the concept of the modern army even. Our managerial class is a product of print culture. So is the idea of romantic love. The media are at the heart of our life because the media work through our senses. And print is a medium. Uh, it changed our sense makeup from what it had been in the Middle Ages. And now certainly these other media will do the same. They, the photo photo uh, photograph, movies, radio, TV, all these uh, change at once the way in which we see or hear or touch or feel ourselves and our world. A slight change in one of our five senses alters the ratio among the best. People suddenly begin to want and appreciate different things. They begin to think differently. Right, Did you uh, catch that? McLuhan suggests that media environments are so powerful they affect all aspects of life, both society as well as the individual. And he even goes as far as to say as the idea that the world even has of romantic love is nothing more than a byproduct of the print media. So it's not too far-fetched for us to think that our idea of marketing is nothing more than simply a byproduct of the limited era. And if we're no longer living in that limited era, that idea no longer holds water. Now, for us to test that theory, we really need to be able to prove out the exact differences between old and new. And to do that, I want to start by looking at two key aspects of these environments, media composition and media volume. 
When we start talking about the composition of media, I want you to know we're not talking about the media or mediums specifically, rather the collective foundations they operate upon. And really, when you break it down, there are only two types. There's non-permissioned media and permissioned media. Let me give you an example. An example of non-permissioned media is the advertisement that you may see in a magazine. See, it does not have permission to reach you. The only way it was able to reach you is because you were a captive of that audience. Now, contrast this with the idea of a notification that may pop up on your mobile device that has the specific ability to reach you and you have given it permission to do so. When we start talking about permission media, the greatest mind in this topic is a guy named Seth Godin. He's a world-renowned marketer and actually wrote the best-selling book, Permission Marketing. Now, I've asked him to help explain the difference between non-permissioned and permission media for you. Here he is. Well, I think it goes back to the lesson we learned when we were a toddler. There's a big difference between saying a knock-knock joke when the other person says, who's there, and walking up to a stranger and just yelling at them. That the essence of human interactivity has always been consensual. It only got erased for a hundred years, the, you know, the interruption uh, parentheses. A hundred years where media needed to pay for itself and so they started interrupting people with ads they didn't want to get. That was a moment in time but human beings never liked it, they never looked forward to it and whenever you give a human the opportunity to figure out what they want to consume, they're happy to take that opportunity. The main reason we need to understand the difference between non-permission media and permission media is its power to motivate. The current statistic is that you are more likely to survive an airplane crash than you are to click on the banner ad on a website. Now that is a non-permissioned example. Contrast that with the idea of a notification from a Fitbit asking you to take 10 more steps today because that's what you need to reach your goal. See, if you don't understand the difference between these two types of media, we would probably lump them together. But this is a key example of more is not just more, more is very different. Now that we have a good understanding on the two different types of media, the next thing that we really need to do is start to measure the volume of these two different types of media within the environment. If we start in 1900 and project out to 2030 and just look at non-permission media, we see some very specific things happen. We see a very interesting story. Starting in 1900, the number of advertisements per day a person would notice is about five that then jumps to about 10 with the introduction of the radio. But then it plateaus, and then we see the introduction of the television, and then that number jumps to about 50, and then it plateaus. And then we see the invention of the internet, that number jumps again, and then it plateaus. And we see the same trend of a bump and a plateau happening with non-permission media, all the way up through the invention of social media, until we get to a point where about today, you see or notice about 150 advertisements per day. This bump and plateau line is very specific, and I want you to realize what it's actually saying. See, what it means is that there is a certain saturation point for non-permission media. 
meaning that it can only reach a certain level or volume in the environment until a new form of media comes in and allows for more to be created. Now if we look at permission media, we see a completely different story. Where non-permission media follows the bump and plateau line, permission media follows an exponential growth curve and currently it's sitting at a volume of 250 in our environment. Consider this, it took non-permission media over 100 years to reach the volume of 100 in our environment. Permission media did double that in under 30 years. All right, let's pause real quick and recap. We've just talked about the two different fundamental types of media, non-permissioned and permissioned. And we've shown that permission media is now the loudest factor of our environment by volume. But just because it's louder doesn't mean that it's more powerful. For us to determine the power between these two different types of media, we are actually going to use a tool that's probably sitting not too far away from you right now. And that's a radio. A radio is a very specific instrument that operates in a media environment very similar to the one we're looking at. See, there's only two types of media in the radio's world. There are signals and there are noise. And there's an equation that we can look at called the signal to noise ratio. This equation will tell us which type of media is more powerful and more likely to be heard. If we apply the signal to noise ratio to all the calculations I've combined, what we see is the following. From 1900 up until June 24, 2009, the largest and most powerful form of media in existence is non-permission media. And after that day, permission media becomes the loudest, most powerful, and most persuasive form of media in our environment. And that's really the first key to this environment, but it's not the whole story. See, when we look at media, we also need to keep into account of who's creating it. Now go back to the idea of the limited era. In the limited media era, the only people that could create media were the ones with the capital to do so. Now think about the infinite era. Anyone or anything can now create media. I want you to think about a Fitbit or the Internet of Things or really even that notification that your calendar just sent you that you have a meeting in 10 minutes. All of those are pieces of media created by devices. So uh, let me jump into it. The main um, reason why we're paying so much attention to this topic is that there's an explosion we're anticipating in the number of things are connected to the Internet of Things that will be in the marketplace by the year 2020. So Gartner is forecasting that there'll be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 billion of these devices participating or connecting in the Internet of Things. That's Mike Burkett from Gartner, one of the chief analysts looking at this idea of connected devices and the impact that it will have on the world. Now, in case you're a little slow with math, let me help you out. See, he said 30 billion connected devices. That means there'll be about four to five connected devices for every one human on the planet by the year 2020. Don't forget, each one of those devices can create, distribute, and consume media on its own, making those devices the largest creators of media on the planet.
right, so far we've talked about the foundational elements of composition, of volume, of power, of who's creating it, but there's also some other major factors, and one of those is how it reaches us. Now, I want you to think about the difference between the infinite and the limited eras in the example as follows. In the limited era, if you wanted to find something, you'd probably go to the yellow pages. And when you opened it up, everybody would see the exact same thing. Now think about the modern era. How do you do this? Will you go to Google? And even if everyone in the world types in the same question, everybody gets back a different answer. See, that's the difference. In the static world, only one message could be pushed out, and it was the same for everybody. In the dynamic world, we use algorithms as middlemen to connect the right people to the right content in real time. Those algorithms, or well, they're also tuned for engagement, meaning they're only going to surface up what they believe you're going to engage with most. Alright, so we've talked a lot about the foundational differences between the limited era and the infinite era. But getting back to the heart of this idea of why is marketing failing, I want to give you a pretty clear example as to why. And that has to do with the environments dictating what can be done within them. Think about this. As we just discussed, the limited environment was static, meaning you could only put one message at a time and it was the same for everybody. Now, when this is the case, the best tactic is attention-seeking tactics because you don't know when or where that message is going to cross somebody and you don't know their state of mind. But you do know if you don't grab their attention, you won't get any shot. So this is why we start to see bombastic advertising. This is where we start to see the idea of sex sells and shock and awe come about. Now let's contrast this with the infinite era. And in the infinite era, we have a couple vastly different things. First off, it's dynamic, meaning everybody can see a different message and we can be contextual to each individual. The second is that there is so much media from so many players that we have to begin to rely on algorithms and filters to help us, the consumers, manage this massive amount of media. And just as we discussed a second ago, what do those algorithms do? Well, they start to filter out things that we don't want and surface up contextual media. So what does this all have to do with marketing tactics? Well, in a limited media environment, the best marketing tactic is attention-seeking methodologies. Those designed to steal somebody's attention when they're not wanting to give it up. In the infinite era, we don't get that chance. See, all those filters and algorithms are keeping that out of that person's daily life. That's their job, to filter out your attention-seeking media and serve up their contextual media. So it should be easy to see, just as McLuhan believes that the idea and notion of romantic love is direct result from the print media era, I too believe that this idea of attention-seeking tactics and the idea of marketing is nothing more than a direct result of the limited media era, and not something that's applicable in the infinite. We've done a pretty deep and detailed investigation into the differences between the infinite media era and the limited media era. But before we leave this topic, there's one final thing that I really want you to understand the difference between. 
and that is what we produce for the environment. See, in the limited media environment, we were trained to produce messages. But you see, there's a problem with messages, and according to Doc Searles, one of the co-authors of the best-selling marketing book, Clutran Manifesto, he says there's no demand for messages. Now, catching up with Doc recently, he even took that notion further and had this to say. I think, I think there never was any demand for messages, quite honestly. I think 600 and some million customers, something like that, or at least 600 some million devices have ad blocking on them. Now, this is, the, I mean, this is easily the largest boycott in human history. This is a message from the marketplace that we don't like that. <laughs> you know, we don't want that. We don't care what your business model is. We don't like it. I agree with Doc. There never is, never was, never will be a demand for pushed messages. But that leaves us with this question, what do we create? Well, I want us to turn our attention to focusing on the economy and realize that many times marketing is a byproduct of the economic conditions as well. And understanding what our modern economic condition is will give us a really good understanding on what we're supposed to be creating. Now, to do this, I'm going to turn it over to Joe Pine in a TED Talk he gave back in 2009. Here it is. When you put business people together with consumers, what you get is an economy. And to talk about the economy, I'm going to talk about a very fundamental change that is going on in the very fabric of the modern economy. And to talk about that, I'm going to go back to the beginning. Because in the beginning were commodities. Commodities are things that you grow in the ground, raise in the ground, or pull out of the ground, basically animal, mineral, vegetable. And then you extract them out of the ground and sell them on the open marketplace. Commodities were the basis of the agrarian economy that lasted for millennia. But then along came the Industrial Revolution. And then goods became the predominant economic offering, where we use commodities as the raw material to be able to make or manufacture goods. So we moved from an agrarian economy to an industrial economy. But what then happened over the last 50 or 60 years is that goods have become commoditized. Commoditized where they're treated like a commodity, where people don't care who makes them. They just care about three things and three things only, price, price, and price. Now there's an antidote to commoditization, and that is customization. And how I discovered this progression of economic value was realizing that customizing a good automatically turned it into a service. Because it was done just for a particular person. Because it wasn't inventoried. It was delivered on demand to that individual person. So we moved from an industrial economy to a service-based economy. But over the past 10 or 20 years, what's happened is that services are being commoditized as well. Long-distance telephone service sold on price, price, price. Fast food restaurants with all their value pricing. And even the internet is commoditizing not just goods, but services as well. What that means is that it's time to move to a new level of economic value. Time to go beyond the goods and the services. And using the same heuristic, what happens when you customize a service? What happens when you design a service that is so appropriate for a particular person? That's exactly what they need at this moment in time then you can't help but make them go wow. You can't help but turn it into a memorable event. You can't help but turn it into an experience. So we're shifting to an experience economy where experiences are becoming the predominant economic offering. Now, most places As you let those words from Pine sink in, think about how marketing changed with each one of those concepts as well. 
See, there wasn't really a need for the idea of marketing in the commoditized age because all that mattered is, are you available? Then as we start to move into the production age, then we start having to make products and tell people about products. Then we start to getting into the service-based world and products become invisible. In fact, we're selling services. So we're having to build trust and marketing is no longer about telling people about a product. It's about getting them to trust us enough to try the invisible. And then we move one step further into the experiential age. And now you're not telling people about what you are. You're not having people trust that it's going to be something great. Every interaction is the product itself. Every interaction is the experience which means marketing moves from something telling you about something to a part of that thing itself. I mean, that's some pretty trippy shit. And you might not have gotten it unless you really understood the difference between the environments. Look, uh, back up just a bit. Sure. See, we started out this discussion talking about that day. June 24th, 2009. And the reason we focused on that day is because that's the day we left the limited media era and entered the infinite media era. And that means the media environment that we're living in is completely different. What used to be dominated by non-permission noise is now completely dominated by permission noise. And the largest creators of media in the world by the year 2020 will no longer even be human, it'll be devices. And this is all extremely important because as McLuhan states, media environments are not just passive wrapping. They're active forces on our lives, changing everything from the structure of society to even the individual wants and desires of humans. Moving forward, what we must realize is the idea that we have of marketing is simply a byproduct of our past media environment. And even then, it really didn't work. It was just the best thing that was possible. What we must see in the future is a new idea. Marketing no longer is about creating and pushing messages. Rather, it becomes the language of creating and sustaining experiences. I want to thank you for listening today and invite you to join me on the next episode of the Electronic Propaganda Society, where we look at the effect of this infinite era on a lot of long-standing traditional marketing theories, such as being top of mind or even the practice of public relations. But before we go today, I want to leave you with one final thought. And this comes from Chris Locke, one of the co-authors of that best-selling book with Doc, Clue Train Manifesto. Locke writes, Mass messaging isn't dead, it just becomes suicidal. <laughs>